Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com slash careers. That's opcpest.com slash careers. Where do you go to find all your favorite wine, beer, and spirits with selections customized to local tastes? For over 25 years, that go-to place has been Cox's Spirit Shop. Cox's, Louisville's go-to liquor store. Be a part of the show. Text Bobby V on the UPS Jobs text line at 437-9680. V Show rolling along here. We want to know Wednesday on ESPN 680-1057. The fabulous one, Phil Baker, Nick Valvano in for Bobby V today. Tanner Brunamesso, the broody cutie on the ones and twos. Uh, Pops yesterday was joined by ESPN's Jay Billis. It was a pretty good interview. We thought we'd let you take a uh, listen uh, today if you missed yesterday's. And it sounded a little something like this is Jay Billis who joins us right now. Jay, thanks for being with us. You um it's it's I don't know, is it too early to start talking about uh Joe Lenardi and his specialty because right now he's only got 3 ACC teams in the dance. You feel that's too few or you think that's how it's going to play out? What what say you about that? It's probably too few. I think there's going to be more than that at the end. But as you know, Bobby, the problem with all this is, you know, the the ACC's analytics don't look good so you don't get a lot of credit for beating the bottom teams in the league and god forbid you lose to one of them uh you know you go to the big 12 every game they play in the big 12 is a quad one game yeah so just about i mean it might not be oklahoma state but everybody else is a quad one game so you can rise up in the net rankings by losing and uh and playing well and that's one of the issues i think a lot of coaches have with the net is that uh, or one of the issue, one of the small issues is uh, you know margin of victory. You know you got you got guys you know grinding it out trying to beat a team by 18 instead of beating them by 14, uh, right. stuff like that 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 we never had to worry about in past years. I, I think it's a small issue, but uh, but it's one that uh, the coaches are thinking about. about <laughs> excuse me, thinking about. And it's factoring into the end of games. No more walk-ons aren't playing as much as they used to because of that. That's true. That is true. I got a theory I don't think you're going to buy, but I'm going to throw it out there. Um, I think it looks to me, if you, you you look around the country, I mean, it certainly starts at the NBA level, but it's carried over to college. I mean, the scoring is way up. They're just the games are routinely now in the NBA going in the 130s, sometimes in the 140s in college. It looks like the guy maybe it's just a matter of some high profile teams that better offenses. John Calipari comes to mind. He's shooting the three more than he used to. But I believe that if you go to the arena now, as we all do, when we broadcast, you get there early. Everybody is out there shooting threes, not shooting threes like you might knucklehead around like in the schoolyard. They're working on shooting threes. I don't care what position they play. They're coming, they're working on, you know, footwork and shooting threes. So you got everybody on the roster, save maybe one or two guys, 
are capable of three-point shooters, are capable three-point shooters, and and here's the part I'm not sure you'll buy. With the portal the way it is, I don't think coaches demand defense be played as much as they used to for fear that they're going to piss their guys off and they're going to leave at halftime. <laughs> I really do believe that because I, I see a lot of teams' defense, you say, and they were guys that I used to see their teams play really, really good defense. And I'm like, boy, they got a little lax now. I, I don't. Maybe it's because the players are so transient and it takes time to develop a good defense, but they just don't seem to be demanding it as much as they used to. I, I don't think you're going to agree with that, but I'm throwing it out there. What do you say? I, yeah, I do see it a little bit differently. So I, I think there are a couple things. One, the NBA has different rules than college. So one, there's a 48-minute game versus a 40. And the NBA has a defensive three seconds rule. So you can't load up your help side defense in the middle of the lane like you can in college. So it's a lot more difficult to score in college than it is in the NBA. And that's by design. Um, you know, they, they The second thing, though, in college is the charge block rule. Uh, we changed it last year, and it's been nothing but a success uh, for everybody except for some old-school coaches you know, that, that loved to take charges and geared their defense toward it and charted it and put it in their game notes and all that stuff. Charges are way down, so that's opened up drives to the basket, which means defenses mm. have to help more. When they help more, that leaves open people. Then you have to close out to them. You can drive the close out, put them in help again. And uh, to me, that's basketball. Um, Reese Davis said this to me years ago, and we've probably talked about this, Bobby. I was on the, the NCAA's competition committee for about 10 years. And they probably hated me on that committee because all I did was bitch and moan about uh, overt physicality in the game and the charge mm. block roll, which I thought was insanely stupid. That you could win a path to the basket by beating your primary defender, and a secondary defender could could still be moving and jump in your path um, as long as your big toe had not left the floor yet. <laughs> and I thought that was extraordinarily stupid. You know, the NBA's charge block rule was a secondary defender has to be in position by the time the offensive player gets into what they call the gather. So it gets to their plant foot if, you, if you're going off of one foot. And, uh, and that, that allows you some time. And, and it also rewards you for winning a path to the basket. Doesn't mean that the secondary defender, if they can't get there to take the charge, can't knock the ball away from you, can't go up and challenge you in the air, can't block the shot. You can still play defense. You just can't you know, initiate a collision and get rewarded for it, what I consider to be 90% of the time before the, this year of getting a charge. And, you know, I used to say we needed to uh, we needed to change the official signal if we really wanted to limit charges, because they used, remember they used to punch the air. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah and uh, it, it was just a, a, it, it's almost like they love to do it. And I'm not bagging on the officials. It's not their fault. But I said, why, why don't you do it where they have to put both their thumbs in their ears and stick their tongue out? <laughs> and, and they won't want to do it anymore. You know, like why can't why can't college college basketball officials behave like the NFL officials? Throw the damn flag and just say foul on number thirty three and have it over with. You know, they got scowls on their faces and doing that. They don't anymore. It's it's been it's amazing how much better officiating has gotten over the years. And when people complain about officials now, I say if you think it's bad now. One, it's not bad. But if you think it's bad now, you should have you should have been around when I was playing. It was horrifying relative to now. Like these guys yeah. are pros, they do a really good job. 
but but I, I think it has more to do with the charge block rule. And yeah, that's a good point. I think I think scoring would be we'd be a lot happier if we would reduce the overt physicality in our game in college basketball because you know you can grab cutters, bump guys. You know, there's so much phys- and even the vertical contest rule where you can. Uh, the, you know, I think you should be in, in order to vertically contest. You should and, and draw contact with an offensive player. You should you should be there to take a charge first. But now these guys are jumping. Defenders are jumping straight up, and and I think more often than it's called, the defense is initiating the contact. And when you're getting hit, when you're an airborne shooter getting hit by the defender's chest going into you, it's hard to complete those plays. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, Reese Davis said this years ago. I got off track on it. So when, when I would be telling him about, you know, sort of what I was interested in the competition committee meetings, he would say, basketball is an offensive game with a defensive component. And I think he's right. Like, you know, not everybody is entitled to guard everybody else. In other words, if, if, I, if I switch out on R.J. Davis, I'm not entitled to stay in front of that guy. He's quicker. And so if he gets by me, that's my problem. That's mm-hmm. not his problem. I shouldn't be allowed to do things physically to impede him that are, that are against the rules. And I think we allow it too much. It's gotten better, uh, but, but we allow it too much. And that negatively impacts scoring. And whenever a coach in a, a committee meeting, I used to hear two things. One, you would hear, hey, defense is 50% of the game. And I go, when is that not true? Somebody's always got the ball and somebody's on defense. It's always, what, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Right, and, right. And they would, they would say, well, how, you know, how do you expect the, these guys to guard with that? Well, I don't expect everybody to be able to do it. But if you've got a, a, a really good offensive player, say Harrison Ingram from North Carolina, gets a smaller defender on him, he backs him down into the post. Well, what are you going to do if you can just back that guy down? Mm-hmm. And the double team. Right. And get the ball out of his hands and then and then rotate when he passes it out. Like that's basketball. It's right. not basketball that you're just allowed to mug the guy and get <laughs> in a bumping contest with him. Um that's not that's not what this is about. And uh and people people who remember when you and I were younger, you know, like in the eighties or the early nineties, they would say, Oh man, the big east was way more physical back then. I'm like, No, it wasn't. Go and look at it. The only di- watch the film of it. Watch the film of the Villanova uh, Georgetown championship game. They were they were pressuring the ball four feet away from the ball handler. Mm-hmm. It, it's way different now. The difference back then is there were no flagrant fouls. So right. when they fouled somebody, they put him into the woods and started a fight. That's right. why people thought it was more physical. It was it's not. True. It's more physical now. And oh. uh, and. To me, when I watch a game, I w- like I watched uh, Texas-Houston uh, last night. If Houston were playing in the NBA, there's no way they would be able to defend like that. No yep. way. They'd all foul out by halftime. But we allow it in college because they do it all the time. And I'm not bagging on Houston. I love Houston. They're a great team, and, and I love the way they play. But that game was in the 60s. It didn't – It. There's no way, unless these guys are, are shooting 20%, that these, these games should be in the 60s. Um, this, this game is about scoring. It, it's not about, it's not about like, you know, the weight room. And years ago, we said, let's get the weight room out of basketball. And it's back in now. All you hear are coaches coming in saying, we got to be more physical. Boy, we need oh, to yeah. be more physical. 
and yep. uh, and physicality should not be the lead story in these games. It should be skill and all that stuff. And we're not, you know, I I, I still think the game's in great shape. I'm not complaining. But, but if we're saying, like, you know, they always say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I said, well, I never heard anybody say, if it ain't broke, don't improve it. <laughs> you know, like, we can still improve it. And, uh, and we, should, we should endeavor to improve it. And, uh, and I think Chris Ratstatter, the NCAA uh, supervisor official, is doing a great job. He's just one guy, though, and there are all these conference supervisors and all these layers. Nobody's, nobody's really in charge. Chris is only in charge of the NCAA tournament. And uh, and that's so he's choosing officials, and that's the only hammer he has is to look at an official and say, "Hey, if you keep calling games this way, I'm not going to choose you." But he's got to have enough officials to do the tournament, and they all know that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so there, you know, everybody but the the bottom tier is going to get in. Right, Jay Billis with us. Uh, always, that's good stuff as always. Uh, one quick point, and then I want to get back on track. But maybe you'll you'll pick up the the gauntlet with this too. You talk about hand signals. I I really think they need to change the signal for when they're going to go to the video because that is the universal signal for whoopee. And believe me, nobody goes whoopee when they decide to go to the video thing. It, it pisses me off that he's making a gesture that looks like he's saying yay, and everybody's looking and saying, oh, not again. We're going to this video thing. So I, I'd rather have him stick his thumbs in his ears and wiggle his hands for that call than when he does the whoopee call when they're going to go do the video review. So I just wanted to it's, plant that. Yeah, since you, become, you, I agree with you, though. It's become a crushing thing at the end of games. And I get it. We want to get it right. Who doesn't want to get it right? Right. But what we're saying is we only want to get it right in the last two minutes and on these particular calls. And, and I don't really care for that. Uh, yep. Jim Delaney, the former commissioner of the Big Ten, called it exactly right 10-plus years ago, saying, you let replay in, you won't be able to control it, and this is going to go in areas that are really going to be debilitating mm. for the game. And he was absolutely right. We, we mm. haven't been able to control it. And the one thing that I would like to see us do, is, it, you know, because replay's here to stay, sadly, but the one thing I would like to see us do is is there's so much money in these games we need to have a we need to have an official on site that does that so they can do yeah. it while the officials are calling the game because it's yep. two different skill sets. We're asking officials to be re, to be appeals judges on their own calls. Yep. The other thing is TV should be allowed to go to commercial uh, while they're looking at it because these things take long enough. We can get our commercials in and then get back to the games, and it's uh, it, it would be and then we don't have to go to commercial again. We can just burn our commercials then. Good point. It's a it's a less tedious thing. I wanted to ask you about this again. I'd love your insight into things. I have noticed this, maybe just noticed it this year, and it's always been the case. But I think it's time to examine the fouling out rule too, because I think. First half, the officials are loath to call some of those physical plays you're talking about because they're not stupid. They know who the good players are, and they don't want to put them on the bench in the first half. And so the tone is set for a physical kind of game that you abhor because they're letting stuff go early because they don't want to call that second foul. And then, of course, when you call that second foul, everybody now puts that guy on the bench. So you got we all come to see these great players. And for the first for the last 12 minutes of the first half, you know, Jay Billis is sitting on the bench because he's got two fouls. I'm not saying it should just be allowed to go hog ass wild out there and beat everybody up. Maybe there should be an additional penalty for fouls over five or so. But I don't think they should go to six necessarily and make that the foul out rule. But they should 
should be something that it's the only game we have. I mean, a pitcher can balk 30 times in a row. He doesn't come out. And an offensive lineman can hold 15 straight plays. He doesn't come out. And, uh, you know, hockey players can get 10 two-minute penalties, and they don't get thrown out. But in this game, you can go foul out. And, and the game, as you said, is so physical now that it's it's kind of hard not to get fouls really and so i don't know maybe there's a, a way to examine that you violently opposed to that or what do you think about that no I, I think i think especially since fouling is is used at the end of games as strategy uh one i think it should be more like football where the 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 team that's fouled should be allowed to decline the foul and just inbound the ball again and uh uh you know if you want to go for a steal and foul again or whatever you get you can take the free throws if you want um, but I think all of our rules on fouls and free throws should change. Um, you know, one, I think we should go to quarters, which we don't have now, and they claim right. it's because of commercial inventory for men's games as opposed to women's games. Men's college basketball is the only basketball game played in the world that does not have quarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, the, we're the only game in the world. It used to be FIBA and us, but now it's just us. And uh, and that would um, that would allow you to reset the team fouls at the end of the first and third quarters, and it would reduce the amount of free throws overall on common fouls in a forty minute game. So I would love to see that happen. The other thing, and this is a smaller thing, there are two things with free throws. Uh, number one, um, free throws have never made sense to me. That if I get fouled on a layup, I have to walk fifteen feet away and make two <laughs> shots because you committed an illegal act. What I would like to see is one shot for the value of the shot that was taken away from you. So, so it, it, it'll make the games quicker. Um, you know, you, good free throw shooter, bad free throw shooter. What you get one shot for two points, or one shot for three points if you're fouled on a three, and let's go. Mm. And mm. then the other thing is on free throw violations. I have never understood this. I don't think it's a good rule. But if if uh, if a uh, a guy shoots a free throw and somebody steps in early and the free throw goes in, there should be no violation in the free throw it counts because the violation affects only the rebound if the shot is missed. It doesn't affect the free throw. So uh, there's no reason to take another free throw or the other team gets the ball out of bounds, all that stuff. But if, if there is a violation and the shot is missed, the ball should there shouldn't be another free throw. The ball should go to the non-violating team because what did the violation do? It affected your ability to get a rebound. You get a rebound, you can hit not only a two, you can hit a three and perhaps get fouled. So you should you should get the ball. And uh, and I, I don't see why that's so controversial, but it's sort of a tradition we've had on free throws. And I just don't think the tradition's that good. Like I heard somebody at the uh, RNA on uh, during the British Open say they they were talking about tradition in golf, and the the gentleman said tradition is only uh, useful if it's relevant to the present. And I thought, what a great what a great statement. Um, you know, like you can have a lot of traditions, it doesn't mean they're good traditions. And I don't think that's a good rule, and I think it's something that should be changed. Interesting. Jay Billis with us. I'd be remiss in this town if I didn't ask you about, obviously, what's going on here with, with Louisville, and I'm not suggesting we be vultures in circle and try and pick successors or anything like that. But I will ask you, you coached for a short time, and you've been calling games now forever. If you suddenly were thrust into taking over this program, what would be your first priorities, do you think? 
well, the players, uh, because those guys are trying hard. It's just really difficult. When the ball starts rolling downhill and there's negativity around you, it is really, really diff- uh, difficult. And so you'd want to make sure the players are taken care of and that they're in the best possible mental shape to, to go out and continue to fight. Uh, and that they don't fracture, and and because you, you know how it is, Bobby. You, te- you you have a team that's losing. Uh, people tend, players tend to say, "Well, I, I better get mine then," um, and uh, and that, that can make things worse. I haven't noticed that with Louisville and watching their games, but there's a cloud that they're carrying with them, and weight, there's extra weight on their shoulders while they're trying to play. And how are you gonna how are you gonna execute when you're carrying a 50 pound weight on you? And that's a very real thing. And, uh, you know, I haven't been through it to quite that level, but my freshman year, we had a, we started all freshmen and we were not a great team. And it was a really difficult year and one that, uh, was difficult to get over. Uh, we got over it the next year and became a, a, a really good NCAA tournament nationally ranked team and got better even from there. But it was a really hard year and one that was, uh, was scarring in a lot of ways and that scars healed and helped us in the, in the, in later years. But uh, first things the players, but you, you, I think you have to start over uh, in a lot of ways and recommit to what's important and make sure you're putting the players on the floor that are doing things the way you want it done, even if they may not be the best players. And um, uh, it, it's, a hard, it's a hard thing because uh, now you're thinking about recruiting and next year who's going to want to come here and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, it's just a downward spiral that's hard to get out of. My friend, you're the best. Take care of yourself. I will, uh, let's see, do I see you this weekend? I have Houston and Kansas. Are you out there? Where are you going? No, we're going to Duke Carolina this weekend. Oh, I forgot. Yes, of course. I've got Kansas State, Kansas, or i got Kansas at Kansas State on Monday. Uh, Ah. So I'll be in the the flatlands driving out to Manhattan, Kansas, the Little Apple. That's a longer drive from Kansas City Airport than you've got. Yes, it is. Is is his team in a little problem here? What do you make of Bill Self's team? I, I think I think Kansas is really good, but they've got four and a half really good players, and and they don't know what they're getting from anybody else. And the half mm-hmm. is Johnny Furphy, who's playing really well right now, but he's still a freshman. Mm-hmm. And so they're not a great three-point shooting team, but they're dynamite getting to the rim, and, and they score a lot of points and score efficiently. But um, I, I think it's remarkable they have the record they have right now, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. If they had Arterio Morris, the guy who transferred in from Texas and, and got bounced out of the university uh, before the season started, uh, they'd be as good as anybody. But they're just missing, they're missing a piece. Yep. And uh, uh, and so championship level, they're 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 second weekend good, but do I think their final four championship good? Uh, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to get some breaks and play extraordinarily well and continue yeah. to get better like like most teams will in the next month. Yeah, that sounds uh, pretty spot on as always. Th- Jay, thanks. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you soon. Be well. All right, my friend. You too. Bye bye. All right. Hey, Billis. Yesterday on the V Show, uh, right here on ESPN 680-1057, the commissioner, the unofficial uh, unofficial commissioner of common sense, that is Jay Billis, going over some good rule changes there um, and talking a little bit about uh, various uh, basketball teams, including Kansas, which last night took care of Oklahoma State pretty handily, winning by 29. Um, Double D, courtside. Yeah, did we ever get visual on Double D Oh, uh, not on the TV, but just it was sent to me. The photo. Did you see the photo? I did not see the photo. Of him and uh, the brass that were there. Hold on. Was Ken uh, there? Yes. 
Uh, let me send it. So Reminds yes, there, there. As we need video and whatnot. Oh, that there is, we go. Yep. Of All course, right. Andy Sweeney sees everything and uh, sends me stuff that he sees with the bat signal up there. So how, do, how did he, he, he? It's Andy. Like I mean, I, that, just, he is unbelievable. He is incredible. Sending you another one, Phil. Oh, okay. Wow, we got we got more visual. Okay. There may be bits better, but yeah, they were at uh, good old Allen Fieldhouse. So good for that. that's on the bucket list. I was talking to Jack Grossman yeah. earlier, and he tells he swears I got to go there. He knows I'm a basketball uh, Benny, so those are the things that we definitely got to check. I want to experience the Rock Chalk. I saw it at the Yum Center. I saw it at the Yum Center when they played here in 2016. I yeah, say. but like you got but like yeah, a watered yeah, down version. Right. Like it's got to be. In, I want to see the, yeah hear the eeriness of like it actually being yeah a, a packed fog out, and that'd be cool. All right. Well, we will take a bottom of the hour break eric crawford of wdrb will join us on the other side got a lot to ask him involving it is a uh, the major topic du jour the coach the potential coaching search for uh uofl basketball i say potential there's still a coach in place there's still games to be played um but eric crawford had a, a tweet yesterday that i think uh was worthy of some discussion talking about how a lot of the names that are being bantered around uh might not have a real chance at the job and how there's some dark horse ones that might very well be in line for a potential um opening here at U uh, of L. so we will talk to eric crawford about that and more on the other side it is the v show the fabulous one phil baker nick valvano and tanner brunamesso in for bobby v on espn 680 105.7 Taking care of your family isn't always easy, so we make sure getting care when you need it is. With Baptist Health Urgent and Virtual Care, we bring you more options and greater convenience, too. With video visits available 24-7 and online check-in through MyChart for in-person visits. To check in online or to set up a video visit, go to baptisthealth.com slash careanywhere. When it's time to replace your heating and air system, we know people want options. That's why you'll always get a free second opinion with BJ Heating and Cooling. Plus, for a limited time, get 0% financing for 60 months on a new Bryant system. Call the experts you can trust at BJ Heating and Cooling. Be a part of the show. Text Bobby V on the UPS Jobs text line at 437-9680. V Show rolling along here on a Wednesday on ESPN 680-1057. The fabulous one, Phil Baker, Nick Valvano in for Bobby V today. Um, very pleased to be joined by WDRB's Eric Crawford, who joins us right now um, at Eric Crawford on Twitter. Eric, how are you this fine Wednesday? I am good. Nice, nice. Good to hear. That's good to hear. Well, I'll, let's jump right in it. Uh, Phil and I talked about this last night on our uh, side side uh, sidecast. Sure, yeah, we'll call yeah. that the sidecast on ESPN Louisville Plus. We were reacting to your tweet saying this. Uh, I don't have a good feel, um, so I'm not weighing in. I do think most of what's out there now is just chatter. Uh, I think there are legitimate candidates um, that have not been. Um, I think there are legit candidates who have hardly been mentioned and a few getting lots of talk who may not be among the finalists. This in regards to who is the next coach, if there is going to be a next coach here at uh, at Louisville. So two-parter. First off, is there anything Kenny Payne can do to get a third year here at UofL? Well, uh, you know, 
at the beginning of the conference season, I thought, you know what, if he goes 500 and they get to like the championship game, the ACC tournament, he's probably coming back. Uh, that is not close to happening. <laughs> so, right. So, uh, you know, uh, if they made a run and won the ACC championship and got in tournament, I mean, not the championship, I don't know if they're mathematically eliminated yet, but it's close, <laughs> then, you know, then it might be tougher, but... Uh, it's hard now to see, you know, I, I said last week, even it was hard for me to see a scenario where he comes back, but uh, they, they're playing hard. You know, they played hard last night. I thought, but um, you know, it just, uh, it's not happening. I do expect them to win some games here in the next six weeks and uh, do that, but I don't think they'll win enough to change what we all kind of believe is, is coming down the pike. Well, I mean, you did mention this. You know, they were down to six available scholarship players, no point guards, and they came back from down 24 um, to pull within four um, to, to Clemson last night. Uh, Phil and I were talking about this uh, on the uh, the sidecast last night, ESPN uh, Louisville uh, Plus. Uh, give us a like, share, and subscribe, uh, Eric, if you have a, if you have a moment. Um, and all you listening out there as well, do the same thing. But we talked about, will there be some sort of narrative if they show some fight in these remaining games, but they do it so under undermanned? And then maybe if there's there's an addition of some recruiting elements as well. There's been rumbling that they might make a splash on the recruiting trail uh, recently. Is there is there some sort of narrative that you, that they can maybe paint uh, the pro Kenny Payne crowd that look this team didn't give up, uh, they were undermanned, and they have reinforcements coming as sort of a sale job for maybe year, uh, year three. Well, on the recruiting side, you know, to me, all right, if he signs like three top 50 guys, top 50 freshmen, or something like that. You look at it, I think that's where you have to take a look. But there can't be like an overall class because you're not going to get anybody in the portal before the season's over, and by the time the season's over, it's too late. So that that the recruiting pitch is going to be hard, especially since they you know, they just got one guy, you know, one commitment that I know, I know of that. So I just don't – you know, you could – you know, we can all draw up miracle scenarios for everything, but if you look at where the where the uh, where the reality lies, I don't see it. The thing we all talk about the comebacks, what we're not talking as much about, what I've been kind of looking into a little bit is why are they falling so far behind? Right, right. I mean, uh, and, and there's a I don't know if there's a common denominator in it. It looks to me, especially in these games where they don't fall far behind, like right off the bat. <laughs> But they might, you know, hang even and then then give up a spurt. I mean, what it looks like to me is they're they're getting too big a rush offensively, and you know it affects their defense. They're giving up easy baskets. Uh, you know, it's the same things over and over. Those things got to be addressed. I, I don't really care once you're down 24. You know, it's there's a few games that go to 24 where the, the losing, you know, the team's behind doesn't make some kind of run. And if you can come almost all the way back repeatedly, then you're a team that doesn't have any business falling behind by 24 in these games. And you know you need to be you need to be in contact so that you know when you make your run, you're ahead. <laughs> that, or, or you know you, you make a run and you put a hurt on the other team. Right. Uh, I, I don't. The comebacks are fine, but you know they're qualified by the fact that you, that most teams can't help but take a breath when they get get up, you know, in the mid 20s. Or in the case of Virginia, 
you know, 30 at halftime. Eric Crawford, WDRB. Give him a follow on Twitter at Eric Crawford. Nick Valvano, Phil Baker filling in for Bobby V. I'm glad you brought up Virginia because I wanted to ask you about this tweet. Sometimes not everyone's privy to having front row seats to some of the games that are going there. And I know something that you pointed out, the look of the faces on the Louisville players uh, is a team that they don't know what to do. Uh, I'm paraphrasing there. And and I, I guess my question is, at some point when that continues to be a trend, like some of the best coaches that have been out there, at some point they need to look in the mirror. It's like what I'm trying to convey or, or coach them is, is not it's not resonating with him. And I think Paul Rogers asked him on the postgame show about some of the basketball IQ and how they're having trouble maybe retaining some of this. I don't want to put it all on the players because I think it ultimately it falls on Kenny Payne's lap. But what did you make of that with the Virginian just kind of expounding on your tweet there? Well, it just, you know, you have to, to be able to <clears throat> to do a couple different things against Virginia. You know, you got to make threes. And Louisville's not a great three-point shooting team, so that's not a strategy for most games. But they needed, I mean, the easiest shot they could get on some of those trips was to drive, kick, get the open three and have somebody knock it down and you know who your shooters are you know where you can put them they know who your shooters are too but they only took 10 or 11 threes in that whole game and that was a game to take them because they also drove in and lost the ball a lot or drove in and got shots blocked or drove in and missed hundreds of contested shots and that's not how how it's going to do it they did half the job you do have to drive and Louisville's a, a team that's got guys who can drive and get in the lane but then it's what you do once you're in there uh, that matters. And they would drive and look into the teeth of that pack line, which looks like the whole team is collapsing on you. And then the ball just went up and, you know, Virginia rebounded and they're off. So I, I, I go back to this. You remember the first football game of the season? Louisville gave up all those points in the second quarter. And they go in the locker room, and there were two things that Jeff Brom did. Number one, they basically scrapped their defensive game plan, which they had worked on, by the way, for the whole offseason. This is what we're going to try and do. This is what we're going to try and do. Brom immediately realizes we can't do this. we got to simplify it heavily and do this, and they did it. The second thing they told them was this next half is about effort, and if I don't see it, you're going to be watching a lot of football this season because I'm not playing anybody. It's not going to get out there and go hard. And that was never really anything the team had to talk about again. So, I mean, I I really – he was able to make that adjustment at halftime. We're watching things that have happened all season, and adjustments still aren't being made. Right. And that's just – that's, you know, that's the job, you know, of coaching, whether it's a head coach or staff together or whatever. Uh, you got to find answers. And I know there aren't many answers when you're down to six guys, and I'm not really talking about that particular situation. But – you know, they, they should not be in some of the situations they get in in some of these games. I'm not saying they're better. They're playing good teams. But they're not giving themselves the best chance they can give themselves to win. And that's that's your job. That's the coach's job. That's all you do is put them in a position to win. And um, they haven't been in that position. Eric Crawford of WDRB joining us. Uh, Eric, going back to your uh, – I mean, we're talking about um, – the potential of a new coach next year uh, for U of L. Uh, just before we get back to your tweet about uh, you know some names that are uh, maybe under the radar that are under the radar. Just first and foremost, the one that has really been the most divisive, at least on our airwaves, has been Chris Beard. And if Beard were to take be a candidate for the job going forward, 
do you stand on the side that you think he would be a good fit here or do you stand on the side of that his his baggage would just not be a good fit it, it would be tough for Louisville to make that that call given all that's going on here but um you know, I, I, I haven't even really, I haven't, we all do our own, everybody is their own vetting service, so we all vet people differently. Uh, if he becomes a candidate here, then there'll have to be a real conversation. But what everybody's having right now is a conversation of what if, what if, because we don't have anything much else to talk about with this basketball team. Right, um, right. I don't really get into those too much. Um, you know, I, I saw somebody on the online, somebody's got a website or something, I can't even remember who it was, but they they put uh, assessing the field for the job. I'm telling you right now, 100%, that person doesn't know what the field is for this job because none of us do. Only, only Josh Hurd knows, and I'm not even sure Josh Hurd knows because I have a feeling there's some people that are going to be interested in this job that were not interested two years ago for various reasons, whether it's a situation at their place or whatever. Uh, Louisville has a, a great deal to sell. You you can win a national championship at Louisville. Um, you know, the, there's a great facility, great fan base. There will be great NIL. Uh, it's going to take somebody that's able to activate all of that to come in. And while there are a lot of good young coaches out there that can win games, I don't know that some of these guys can activate all that. Um, Chris Beard might be a guy that can. I don't even know enough about him away from the game, whether he's a guy that will jump in with fans and get involved to be you know, a part of what Louisville wants, which, let's face it, Louisville's not just about the games. They're about the party, too. They need somebody. You know, They need a coach who wants to be a part of all that. And uh, that's a little bit of a problem that Mac had here. So he was a great coach. I mean, he had, he had basically, I would say, pretty similar resume to a lot of these guys like Musselman or people like that that they're looking at. But And Musselman's a little more personable, I think. But, but I don't think he liked the public part of the little job. And if you get a coach that doesn't, he can win, but it's not going to be exactly what you want. And Louisville's in a situation right now where they got to get it right, not just on the court, but off and in the PR arena and everything else. And Beer definitely has a strike or two against him, you know, in that area. I'm curious, Eric, just to piggyback off that, is it like, I know it's part of being a part of the party. It's almost like a politician to a certain regards for the position, <laughs> but could it be a no-name, you know, individual that's flying under the radar that maybe, or do you think it will be a, a name? And I know I hate doing the hypotheticals when there's still a coach right. there. Uh, but would that excite the masses of the fan base? Or I, I go back to the Tennessee with the Josh Heupel situation where it wasn't really excitement until it was. And you may have to get through some, you know, six months till the start of the season where they see the play and then that begins to excite people. I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Well, I know that Josh likes the... I mean, let's look at the Jeff Walls, Dan McDonald, you know, all those models. <laughs> you know, those are guys that were not household names when they came here. Right. But they were really good at what they do, and uh, and they really did it. But, you know, Walls, to me, Walls would be the guy I would hold out and say, look, here's a guy. He wins. He also buys a round of drinks for the whole arena. If you show up at the game, <laughs> True I'm story. I mean, that, that, that's more than just winning. Their players are on the court after every game, win or lose, to sign autographs. That's, you know, right. that, that's, they're in. He's in, in the community, and, and Louisville loves that. They love him for that. So that's what I'm kind of talking about if you're looking at a model. He, didn't, he wasn't, doesn't have to be a huge name. 
but it does have to be somebody that you know captures the fan base from day one on day one and he's there so I, I no I don't think it will be a quote unquote no name now some fans may say you know it's a no name because it may come from a smaller program or not not be a glamour person or whatever but uh, I really tend to think that Louisville needs to think bigger than smaller when making its initial you know outreach on this job uh, just to see uh, can we get a guy that's been to multiple Final Fours or can we get a guy who's right now you know got a top 10 team but may know if he can take the next step in that place uh, I think those are worth pursuing at this point if you're Louisville if they're guys that you think would be a fit in the city. Eric Crawford of WDRB joining us at Eric Crawford on Twitter. Uh, I'll just come right out and uh, and ask it. Uh, I mean, I've heard I've heard names that were kind of off the the beaten path. When I say the beaten path, I mean the Trilly Donovan tweets, the ones that everyone's been mentioning, the Mick Cronins, the, the Chris Beards, the... Uh, <laughs> The Jerome Tangs going away from those candidates to some of the uh, you know more dark horse ones. I mean, I've heard Porter Moser in recent weeks. I've heard Will Wade in recent weeks. Um, are, are there any of those dark horse names that that you've heard mentioned? Well, I've heard probably the same ones you have. I'm just not. Uh, there are a couple. I feel like I can throw up, but I'm not going to because as soon as you throw them out, they're the they're the, the talk of little for three or four days. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, right. You know, I don't. I don't want to cause uh, some of these guys problems. So. Yeah. Fair. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's it. And I, because I think that, I think there are, but I, I just would say that there are just, there are conversations that that heard either will have or should have that that are pretty high up. And I, I will when the season's over. I'll say I think this these guys should be the two. Now they may not even talk to those two guys, but. But uh, I don't have a problem with that. But, but, you know, if I say something in January, not that I'm that big a deal or that we're broadcasting nationally, but if we talk about somebody that's not out there, that name get, goes out on social media and, you know, next thing you know, they're at a press conference answering answer questions about it. And I, don't, I don't really feel like that's my place to create that. I might, you know, might get you a few web hits for one day, but I'd, I'd like to, you know, i got to stay in a situation where if I talk about somebody – there's a legit shot, and uh, I feel like I've done that um, up to now, so that's what I'm going to keep doing. No, fair enough. For sure. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, reminder, we got you covered for the Kentucky Fish and Wildlife postgame show coming up uh, tonight around 10 o'clock or so, so switching it up to Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky taking on Florida tonight inside Rupp Arena, uh, obviously losing to South Carolina last week. I know that's a name that's kind of uh, popped up on people's radar. It's funny how that works. If you beat Kentucky, that pops up on people's radar with Labod Paris, but some names like that out there, but just kind of the week that was for Kentucky basketball uh, and, and getting a tough win down in Arkansas in a hostile environment on Saturday with game day there but what do you expect to see from the Kentucky Wildcats this uh, tonight I should say inside Rupp Arena well I haven't heard anything um, about uh, Dillingham uh, he's a key piece of that team and you know you watch the man start to sell and saw why now Kentucky's got so much talent that they can they can shift some guys around and make up for it but nobody can do what Dillingham does so he's he's a key piece I think what everybody's going to be watching for tonight is what does the big man rotation look like? Is he going to keep trying to play all three of those guys? Is it going to be whoever's got the hot hand, who fits the matchup? How's this going to work? 
there may not be a single way that it works all season. It may just be who's better suited to play against this particular team, and that be it. But I would expect to Kentucky be sharp at home. Uh, I would expect them to, to have looked better against Florida than they looked in their last game against Florida. They beat Florida, but they were behind the whole game. They had a net deficit. Uh, if you look at the analytics, at the end of most games, they come out with a number that's the the, the real deficit, which is how much you, the average of what you're behind the whole game weighted by time. And Kentucky was like a point and a half. Uh, you can lead, you can have that be positive and lose. You can have it be negative and win. And they won. I think Kentucky needs to look better and have a little bit better handle on a game against Florida here than they had down there. Um, and the other thing is just not to look past it. Tennessee's a huge rival. They're a top 10 team, even though they just got beat. I think the South Carolina loss, in retrospect, while it still doesn't look good, it's a little more understandable than it was. So I think uh, I think the big thing is to try and take another step forward against Tennessee, understand yourself a little better, and be ready for another South Carolina-like game you know, against Tennessee this weekend. Eric Crawford, WDRB, joining us. Uh, the Cats are going to have a Duthie arrow. Um, how much of a difference do you think he will make on uh, the defensive side of the ball for a UK team that is still, it's better, but they're still trying to find their defensive identity. He's going to be in action. He wasn't in the, in the first <laughs> matchup against Florida. You know, he'll help. I just don't know, you know, who, who's, whose minutes are going to decrease because he's back. And he will play, and he'll be important because of what it, what you said, his ability to play defense and his ability to respond uh, to physical you know, opponents, which is what they were lacking at South Carolina and what they'll need in games coming up. You know, you got Alabama, you got Auburn, you got Tennessee. You're going to need somebody like him. But you're also playing, you know, somebody's got to come off the court. And, you know, which of the of – the, future first-round NBA draft picks are you going to take off the court, you know, for him to be on it. Right. And, you know, D.J. Wagner is playing better every every game. He's better. Uh, Reed Shepard, who's, you know, pushing the lottery. lottery. Dillingham is a lottery guy. I mean, Antonio Reeves, who's not up there in the mountain grass, he's only just scoring, you know, 25 points every time he steps on the floor. So it's a little bit of a tough, you know, personnel thing to figure out know who you do and I really think it, it's going to depend game to game on what Kentucky needs but Daryl's going to play because he's a defensive type of guy and he can play with these more physical guards. Eric Crawford WDRB we'll get you out of here on this I know you did a piece on there Nick Kern uh, would be upset at me if I didn't ask you about this so I shall you did a piece about Curry's 15 leading Louisville pass pit into a four game stretch versus ranked teams uh, just what you've made of the Jeff Walls uh, just getting in a new roster but thus making a ton of headway and being back in the top uh, 20 yet again it's just I know with Haley Van Lith leaving a lot of people were upset about that but it seems like uh, Jeff Walls just going about uh, business as usual yeah, they're what eighteen and three, yeah. and what do you got? There's nothing to complain about, but it is an extremely tough stretch coming up in the next six weeks. They have a lot of ranked teams and a lot of them on the road. They have a Syracuse team coming in that's playing as well as anybody in their league Thursday night. I think that's right. And then they have they're at NC State on Monday, which is a top ten team. And then they're at home against Notre Dame next week, and they're at Syracuse four straight games against ranked teams right there. So we're going to learn a lot about them. Uh, don't expect them to win all of those games. This is not a dominant type of rule team. They've had those, but I still, I really still feel like they're trying to figure out who they are 
and who their go-to players are and who's, you know, because they can have, a, you know, any one of some of these four or five players score 20 every night and be the person, but it's not the same one every night. That sometimes makes it hard for teams to figure out, you know, where the go-to is. But I like their experience. I like the fact that they're all really competitive. Uh, they don't have great size, but they have a couple of good interior players in Cochran and uh, and Niall Harris. So they're really good, uh, but they're going to take a step up in the next two weeks. And that's one thing Walls is really good at is uh, elevating. And you can literally see his teams when the NCAA tournament time comes around. They have a different look about them when they hit the court in those NCAA games. And, and sometimes they do in these games against ranked teams too. So we'll see if he can push that button yet again. Eric Crawford of WDRB joining us at Eric Crawford on Twitter. We appreciate the time, man. You have a good Wednesday. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Good stuff there from EC, talking a little bit about the coaching uh, potential uh, coaching uh, vacancy at uh, UofL, and uh, talked a little bit about UK and UofL women's basketball. So always appreciate the time there from uh, Eric Crawford. Uh, any major takeaways from that interview? I thought like he really ta- – the way he broke down – um, the uh, just the struggles of U of L basketball, and I, I think it kind of put everything in perspective. Well, I, I think he does a nice job of look. Eric Crawford, I, this isn't a slight, he's not hot take guy. On no, these no, things. not and, at all. And, and I think so it's the respectful. We love him on yeah, the exactly. It's yeah. I forgot. I know how Bobby V feels about uh, just the the state of sports talk radio and just sports media as a whole. But I think ultimately it goes back to this. It, it's there's going to be an overall. Um, it feels like you're trending in that direction. I think Eric Crawford, I don't want to speak for him, is doing that. But he wants to be tasteful in the sense there is still a coaching staff. There is still an, a runway in which it feels like they could have some you know, positive deposits with Josh Hurd has. So he wants to be respectful to that and some of the things that he's hearing, which I'm sure has some well-placed sources right, throughout right, there. So um, it's still interesting, the, the whole notion of some guys that no one is talking about to me, that he was kind of cryptic on from that tweet. That right. Because, look, Troy Donovan has put some things down by all accounts. He has called some things out, and people feed him stuff. And I know two people for a fact that uh, he slid into his DMs and vice versa. So it's like I'm that look at me dropping little nuggets right you. there. But um, he, with that being said, this isn't a slight at Trilly. He hasn't been right on everything. And Crawford, this is why I always say the the thirty thousand foot media. And I know that's it's funny because it's almost I don't want to say a parody account because it's. You know, it's kind of a burner account. That's the yeah, whole right. point of it. But Eric Crawford says it in the bio. Yeah, it, it, and Eric Crawford kind of dives into some of the things and the discussions that we're have with having the one on one with Josh Hurd, going to I think it was at Grawlmeyer Hall uh, right. and getting the one on one about there's no moral victories here. It's going to come down to wins. So it, it provides a little bit more context versus and, and some of the names that are flying under the radar because I, I I'm so jaded from the last go around that guys right. parlayed this for a raise and to get a job. Uh, a higher raise and get extensions and things like that. Yeah. That and that's the game. I, yeah, like. that, that that is the game. It, it, but I'm also kind of of the belief that if there's some guys under the radar or. To Eric's point, it, he feels like it needs to be a, a bigger name, but it could be of the ilk of Jeff Walls or Dan McDonald. Then so be it. Like as right. long as Josh Hurd stands by it, and he can live with that, because I just don't want his decision to be persuaded one way or another by anybody like you can have discussions but ultimately right. i want it to be his decision right. and if it doesn't work out then we can have a conversation about josh hurd as between an him and his search committee exactly that and that's it 
Yeah, no, I, I that's kind of where I've uh, I, I, my stance is on that. So I, I appreciate Eric kind of breaking it down and just kind of peeling back the curtain a little bit to some of the tweets he put out. Well, there. with it, I mean, when we look at the last coaching search and with that kind of cryptic tweet from Eric Crawford, and although Trilly Donovan, like we said, you know, it does seem to have some connections, but you put it all together, I'm starting to think that the head coach is going to be a mid-major guy the next one if there if there is one you know we'll see and also with that said i do wonder if that kind of leads to the fact that if there's some some goodwill deposits whether it be on the recruiting trail or in the uh, the win and loss column down the stretch i wonder if there is a potential for kenny Payne to get a third year but i mean this idea that you can just money whip people um, or at least other power five coaches, power six coaches. I, I, that, that notion is you can't do it anymore. We saw it. We saw it. If there's no evidence, if we don't believe it now. I mean, look to the last one. It was Kenny Payne, Greg Gard, and a bunch of mid majors. Essentially, is what what we kind of found out. Well, but I think it has to be something to be said to be the guy after the guy too. Like when also it's true. so bad, the the like. Chris Mack had him number one in the country. And I understand it ended poorly with, and you can make the argument about Neely Bindapudi and everything that has transpired with the board kind of having his hands tied behind his back and Vince Tyree and Neely Bindapudi kind of feuding on these things. Right. But the the floor, it, it's so bad right now that it's almost like anything would be better than this. So the expectation, although they're going to be tournament at least at year one, and I think that is very obtainable with 68 teams. I'll say that over and over again. It's not as dire as I mean, what it is now. So I think if you get somebody in here, let's say I'm looking at the top 25, you get TJ Olzenberger from Iowa State, you get Texas Tech's coach, you get I know people would have a field day with Mark Pope and the head coach uh, as the Kentucky Red, a Little Rick Petito as at New Mexico. I, I don't think that would happen, but I know there's folks out there. So if you're just looking at top 25 teams and some of the coaches, yeah, that maybe were take there, away the mid major, right? Uh, like, uh, but not. Traditional powerhouses. Yeah, right. Like Jamie Dixon was scoffed at last time as another name that was out. He's 25th in the country right now at 15 and 5. I, I, again, I don't know if those will excite the masses, but I also think there's kind of need to be a reality check of guys that parlayed this for raises last time, agents feeding this to the power brokers that be. And again, you don't want egg on your face, hence why they'll fi- probably hire a search firm yet again right. to hide behind it so it, it doesn't come across like you're looking at your sixth or seventh choice on that. Yeah, that's And fair. you can have open dialogue about some of those things. So, again, Tommy Lloyd sitting at 12 uh, in the country. You know how I feel about Tommy Lloyd and my man crush on him. I know it's a, we got number one at the time, but he uh, turned that around in a heartbeat. So, uh, that, that those are some interesting conversations to have over the course of the next six weeks. No, absolutely. And we talked about it last night on the, on the sidecast. Again, like, share, subscribe. Uh, ESPN Louisville Plus on YouTube. Uh, if you want to be a part of those, um, while we uh, while, while we watch along with you guys, so this is some college basketball. Um, we talked about it last last night that it'll be interesting to see as the season goes on and we get into the postseason, whose stock rises and falls. Yeah, because that's definitely going to be a factor in it as well. And I and like you said, I mean, you were just going down the list of top 25 coaches. I think right now also things have been so bad and also with the cloud gone now, you got to think that it in theory should be an easier rebuild. I do kind of wonder if those two factors are the fact it's been so bad for so long to the point where I think people would be okay with just about anybody or at least it would soften their expectations. 
because uh, I do think that this hire is very important. They have to get it right. This can't be uh, another person that only lasts two to three years, seasons here. It has to be somebody that has a little bit of merit because if you don't, then you fall into IU territory. Then you fall into Miami football territory of people that have been trying everything, throwing all kinds of things at the wall Hope to try sticks. to get something to stick, trying to get, well, well, well can it be someone, uh, an alma mater? Can, can it be something, an alum? Can it be that? Can it be someone from the pros? Who, who do we get? Who do we get? And you don't want to fall into that pattern by any stretch, but I do kind of think that because things are so bad and that that cloud is gone, I do think that that will kind of soften and hopefully ease um, the rebuild. I just, uh, I just, I, I don't know um, if it's. It'll be interesting to see as more names get mentioned who people gravitate towards, and not even necessarily as their number one, but. If a coach, like if a coaching candidate comes out, if it like how if it lands on people's top three, yeah, that, that that's what I'm saying. I, I'm with, I feel like a lot of people still are going to put the the big names as their as their number one pick, but if they had to go three deep, is it Chris Beard, Jerome Tang, and is it a Dusty May? Is it a Tommy Lloyd? Is it a Jamie Dixon? Who is that? Who's that third person on their list? Because that is likely where. Louisville's going to be probably shopping. I know we need to go to break here soon, so I, I want to be very careful what I do this. I, I just saw something pop up on the algorithm. This is where, you know, Elon Musk is listening to our very conversations. So his name is oh Jacob Scott Davis, which sounds like a Confederate president, uh, you know, that was down there. But anyways, he apparently, um, I, I guess he has reporter and recruiting at SI now. Now, I don't, I need, this is something I probably should have DM'd Matt McGavick about. I guess it's under the same umbrella. It's kind of like the foundation thing with that. But he said, according to a source, Louisville is targeting UCLA's Mick Cronin. Buyout lowered to $16 million on 4-1 if a mood is made to terminate Kenny Payne. Other options are Chris Beard and Jerome Tang. Um, so he has about 10,000 followers right underneath that. So again, I have no idea if that's reputable, but I'm just looking at his bio that he has that out there. But again, that's... Truly Donovan essentially put something out like that and then he took him away. So this is what you get on the internet. But he's apparently the Arkansas version. I don't hopefully Matt McGavick's not bad at me, but uh I guess under the same umbrella of kind of like that S I that S I like fan nation fan thing. Nation so thing, do with yeah. that what you will. I don't yeah, that's reckless speculation and reporting by me if that is in fact uh, not true, but <laughs> that's what I saw pop up there. I know we need to go to break. We've yeah, been rambling for a while. We'll take a uh, top of the hour break. We'll get Bobby V on. He'll check in at uh, around two 15 we'll work your text in as well it's also we want to know wednesday the interns our intrepid interns have come up with some we want to know wednesday facts for uh this uh january 31st 2024 we'll take a uh, top of the hour break it's the v show phil baker nick valvano tanner brutamesso in for bobby v espn 680 1057